There is great pressure in our culture today to conform to certain images. The widespread use of social media has increased the pressure on all of us. While there is not any one image that is the goal of conformity, when it comes to the affirmation of a community to which we might aspire to join, the pressure to be like them can be intense. The tension in this conversation exists because conforming to a certain set of norms and practices is how we maintain an orderly and functioning society. There is, after all, a social contract that makes it all work. The problem comes when the ideas and practices that demand conformity break rather than build community. We also see this in certain communities that are built on an exclusivist mindset. In these communities, the expectation to conform is very strong and sometimes toxic. When communities, particularly the more toxic ones, demand adherence to a narrow set of beliefs, any attempt to step outside or leave the community is met with swift retribution. It is in these situations the need for liberation is strongest. Jesus' disciples faced precisely this kind of pressure. The demand to conform to a narrow set of expectations around temple worship and the emerging synagogue culture was strong. Because Jesus threatened those power structures, he was ostracized by many, and any who would dare to follow likewise risked much. Even when it came to messianic expectations, there was a narrow range of belief. In his confession at Caesarea Philippi, Peter steps outside of those norms to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. This would have been heretical. However, his statement of faith provided the foundation for the Apostle Paul to encourage the church in Rome to not be conformed to this world. In the barrier-breaking confession of Jesus as the Messiah, a new community is created. The ecclesia is called into being. While ecclesia is commonly referred to as the church, it is so much more. Ecclesia is a called-out community, called out of the confines of a world that is out of alignment with God's purpose into relationships where the self-giving love of Christ is at its center. We are heirs of that community. This morning's gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Today's scripture reading is from Romans 12, 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many who are many. We have one body in Christ and individual we are the grace given to us. Prophecy in portion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, and the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, 2020 um, has been the time when a lot of the patterns of life that we have just taken as a given and, and has, uh, have accepted uh, have changed dramatically, and we're seeing it every day, and over these last six months, we're probably learning new lessons as the days go on. Uh, I had one uh, on Friday. Um, I see a dermatologist um, once a year just to get checked out since um, I do have uh, some history of skin cancer, and, you know, I was looking forward to meeting with my dermatologist because we've developed a good relationship. I, I, I trust her. She's, she's very thorough. And I was a little bit taken aback when I was calling the appointment folk, and they said, and yes, you'll be having a teleconference for the dermatologist. And I stopped to think about that for a second. It's like something wasn't computing. How do you do a teleconference with a dermatologist. The whole point is being able to, to see, to physically inspect, you know, moles and spots and all of that. It, it just kind of blew me away, and, and I, I could feel myself getting, getting kind of uptight about it, and I just, thought, I just kind of just had a moment of zen and decided, okay, well, I am going to trust the process um, and, you know, and come to find out if there is something that they feel like they, they need to see, well, then, yes, of course, they'll go ahead and, and either turn on the camera for the phone or, you know, have you come in. Um, but we've been doing a lot of that. 
some of our patterns, going out to eat. I mean, how many of us don't like to go out to eat? And we may be able to go to restaurants, but we're probably doing a whole lot more takeout and eating at home um, than we used to. Education, as, as everybody's back to school right now, education looks different now than even it, as it did in the, at the end of last school year as everybody was scrambling uh, to, make something, um, to make something new. Um, now it looks a little bit different that they've had a chance to, to kind of test it and check it. Um, our meetings are different I mean, even this, this last week, as the Democratic National Committee was having their convention, you know, the whole idea of convention is convening, and, the, and what we're used to seeing around political conventions is different. There wasn't all of the people packed in, singing and chanting with all of their buttons and swapping buttons out from the different places and doing the roll call of the states and, um, and then the big balloon drop at the end you know, this last week and probably next week too when the Republican National Committee uh, meets, this staple of American life looks very different. The reality that we're having to deal with is that um, we had become so accustomed to a certain set of societal norms, right? The world looked a certain way. And we're dealing with the fact that just the psychic kind of turmoil, the emotional and spiritual turmoil that comes when things don't look, feel, and act the same way. Now, uh, prior to COVID, you would often hear me uh, talk about the seven last words of the church, right? You know the seven last words of the church. There's actually two versions of it. There's a positive version and a negative. Uh, the positive version is, we've always done it that way before, or we've never done it that way before. And I've used that kind of as a, as a, as a uh, way to open a door into change you know, trying to encourage change and spark change and, and to, to think about innovation, to think about responding to needs that maybe we've not met before or didn't know that they existed. So the seven last words were, it was kind of the, the encouragement, the, uh, the stick, as it were, to move us forward. But in COVID world, the seven last words of the church take on a whole new meaning. We've never done it that way before. <laughs> We've never done it this way before. The notion that we would even consider doing worship this way before, I think you'd have probably run me out of town on a rail. But here we are. Here we are. And we find meaning in an experience that we didn't know existed. We found meaning in an experience and in a way of being the church that we didn't even think possible. We've never done it that way before. And you know what? That's okay. It's a little scary. A lot of uncertainty. 
but the reality going forward. If we try and rebuild, if we try and reconvene, if we try and come out of this pandemic and build it the way that we've always done it, that will be an engraved invitation to obsolescence. Because the reality is, is that a lot is changed and gone forever. That's a little disconcerting. But it's okay. Because as people of faith, we recognize that we have a long history of living into we've never done it that way before. You know, the passages that, um, that Joanna and Sierra read uh, Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi and Paul's encouragement to the church in Rome about not being conformed to the world are texts that I have preached countless times. You know, and I, I had a pretty decent understanding of what they meant pre-COVID, but this is the first time in, in COVID world where I've even considered these texts, and I have found depth to this text that I think is very important to us today. We, we get to a place where we take Peter's confession uh, for granted. Yes, of course, Peter, the, the, the rock on which Christ built the church. Peter, who was uh, de facto the first bishop of Rome. Peter, the, the one from whom all popes have uh, traced their spiritual lineage. We are very familiar with Peter. And yet, we don't really quite grasp just how incredibly innovative Peter's statement is. When Jesus says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is, he's referring to himself, but not exactly referring to himself. When he says, the Son of Man, he's basically asking who are the people saying the Messiah is? Well, he's John the Baptist, or he's Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or one of the other prophets. You know, kind of the worn path, because this is who everybody expected to be. They expected this Messiah to be a certain way, to restore the kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom, but a social kingdom, a religious kingdom, a political kingdom, going to restore this physical worldly kingdom to Israel. That's what everybody expected. There was no basis for Peter to make his confession when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Because Peter, though he uses the word Messiah, the son of the living God, there is nothing that Jesus has done to this point. Literally, nothing that Jesus has done to suggest to Peter, the disciples, or the world that he would be restoring the kingdom to Israel. There's nothing that Jesus has done that would, would, would suggest even for a minute that Jesus was going to raise an army and throw the Romans out and restore Jerusalem as the, 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 the rightful capital of Israel. Zero. Peter 
has experienced something different. He sees the, the strength, the power of Jesus. He's heard the teaching. He's seen the miracles. He's experienced the miracles for himself. Something in his life, in his relationship with Jesus has changed. Changed to the point where he's able to make this incredible leap of faith. To recognize Messiah in a way that nobody else had before. It's like he's getting out of the boat, as referenced to a couple of weeks ago, our, our, our worship a couple of weeks ago. It's like he's getting out of the boat all over again and taking this incredible leap of faith to say that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, even though he doesn't look at all like what they expected. This is groundbreaking in so many ways. Now, let's not romanticize Peter in this moment because the reality is in his very next breath, he speaks without complete understanding and Jesus rebukes him. And in truth, Peter spends the rest of his life living into his confession and understanding more deeply what it means that Jesus is the Messiah on a day-to-day basis. Even into the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, Peter is still being taught new things. You see, it's not Peter the person on which Jesus builds his church so much as it is this groundbreaking confession, this groundbreaking leap of faith to proclaim something about Jesus that's different. That's what it means to be the church. And the church that that Jesus is talking about, the word ecclesia, is not about this. It's not this institution But the church, the ecclesia, is a called out community. It is a group of people that's called out of the norms of the world, a group of people that's called out of the brokenness in the world to establish a new community. And it is is in Paul's writings, uh, particularly the passage in Romans 12, that we begin to get a grasp of what that means. What does it really look like to be this called out community? And Paul says, don't be conformed to the norms of the world. Don't be conformed to the transactional relationships that define so much about who we are. Do not be conformed to this, but be transformed to have our minds and our hearts and our lives changed by the grace of God when we make this confessional leap as Peter did. When we get out of what is normal, when we get out of what is comfortable, when we get out of what is the expected, the we've always done it that way before, and embrace how grace is working now every day to build and rebuild the beloved community. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your life, that you may know, know, that you may know 
what it is that God is up to, what God's purpose is in the world, that you may know what it means to be ecclesia, to be the church, to be the called out community. To be the community that embraces, we've never done it this way before, not as a statement of fear, but as a statement of possibility. If it feels a little bit like wilderness to embark on this, to step out and and conceive of our life together as a people of faith in a different way, it's okay. It's supposed to. If it feels different, if it feels uh, unsettling, if it feels like wilderness, if it feels like desert, it's supposed to because we're not being stuck in what was before. We're living into a new reality. Now, the good thing about this the grace about being ecclesia is that innovation, formation, transformation, risk-taking, making mistakes, not getting it right the first time or the second time or the third time or the hundredth time is okay. We have become risk-averse. We have become failure-averse. And yet, the the sad part about that is that when we allow the risk-aversion, the failure-aversion to mire us to a past that is fading away, we lose our ability to be open to and to see how God's Spirit is moving now in this moment, in this community. I want to thank Bryce and Sierra because the song was perfect. To sing what they sang in our heart and in our life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. When we, even in the midst of what we're dealing with right now, when so much is different, when so much is uncertain, when so much is foreign, when so much feels like wilderness, to know and embrace the Spirit's presence. Because it is in that openness, it is in that responsiveness, it is in the leap of faith that Peter teaches us that we will see and we will understand what our ministry looks like tomorrow and the next day, next month, next year. What our ministry will look like when the sanctuary is once again filled and yet understanding that even when that familiar sight is restored, to recognize that we're still going to be different.
because of everything that we've experienced, because of the wilderness we've traveled. One of our sainted leaders, Brad Williams, at the very beginning, Brad has, has had so many leadership positions in the life of the church, and Brad, um, I'm thinking about you and uh, praying for you this morning. Brad said at the very beginning of this that we will be stronger not as an institution, but we will be stronger as a community of faith because of the way that we have done this ministry together, the wilderness path that we have walked together. Those were prophetic words that he spoke months ago, and I believe, I believe them. I believe it because I'm seeing it every day. I believe it because I trust God. I believe it because I trust you. Brothers and sisters, let us step into a new way of being ecclesia. Let us be a called out community that in every day, in big ways, in small ways, in all of our relationship, in all of our relationships reflects the the promise and the power and the possibility of new life through Christ, our Redeemer, through Christ, our Teacher, through Christ, our Guardian, through Christ, our Companion. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope you've been encouraged. If you are interested in being part of our worship experience during this time of physical separation, please join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday, Pacific Time, on our YouTube channel, Redlands First UMC. That's Redlands, F-I-R-S-T-U-M-C. Redlands First UMC.